I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Adam Kosky. I'm Dustin Kosky. And we love to watch. We love to peer from the rafters. We'll remember you forever, Through the sacrifice you made, we can't believe the price you paid. For love, little Eddie Mitty, born in Jersey City, started singing when he was five. Never knew his father, mother didn't bother to catch his last name fast as he came. He was often flying. Times were really trying. Eddie and his mother. Hey, hey, Peter. Those Koski boys are back. <laughs> uh, on a scale of one to ten, how do you like being called the Koski boys? We're fine with it. Uh, how, how many murders have you solved recently? <laughs> We're not too much on the solving side of murders. <laughs> murders are involved. I would argue if you commit a murder, you've in a sense solved that murder for oh. yourself. Yeah, you know who did it. Unless it's an amnesia murder. <laughs> yeah. Amnesia murders are so cliche now. <laughs> <laughs> Been there, done that, and forgot all of it. Yeah, so the brothers uh, Karamoski uh, on the show, <laughs> third time as brothers. Dustin, it's his fourth time. Uh, nothing, no big deal about that at all. Not worth mentioning. <laughs> so awesome! It's my fourth time! Oh, we Once, broke Dustin. Twice. Three times, Akoski. Four times, Peter. You haven't broken Adam yet. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have something to hold over his head once you get that five timers club jacket. <laughs> jacket may be a drawing of actual jacket. <laughs> let's let's let Adam and Dustin. We don't need to. Uh, uh, I almost said Adam and Dusty, which could be a weird dynamic on this show. Uh, yeah, that, that's their shock shock title. Adam and yeah. Dusty. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, why don't we don't need to do, we've done so many different variations of three things about yourself. Why don't okay. you guys just introduce yourselves to our audience? Okay, uh, quick thing. Five second recap. This um, is not an intro. <laughs> this is just feedback. <laughs> All right. Five second recap. It's the Phantom of the Opera meets Faust meets the picture of Dorian Gray set in the 70s starring Phil Spector. Just want to say that so we we're discussing the movie as soon as possible, right? <laughs> oh yeah, everything that comes after this and between until the real main movie discussion technically counts as a digression. Okay. We have started talking about the Phantom of the Paradise. Phantom of the Paradise, our fourth entry in. You see, you didn't tell them what movie we were doing first. Though. <laughs> It's easy to fall into these traps, isn't it, Dustin? <laughs> Where you're trying to get ahead of it, you miss the most important part. But we're yeah, we're doing the Phantom of the Paradise, uh, Brian De Palma's movie. 
Dustin's weird loophole to get out of saying that he hates the opening segments on yeah, the show. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's he had some lawyers drop some contracts, I guess. <laughs> um, what if no opening segment? <laughs> yeah, all clauses that are not included are considered included. <laughs> Got it. Uh, I feel like that's from a movie I saw recently. <laughs> anyway, Dustin, Adam, you, you missed your chance. No one <laughs> Hopefully you got a lot of energy for plugs at the end. <laughs> um, uh, we are going to jump right into it before we start. Uh, uh, jump right into a bunch of digressions, I guess. And then we'll start talking about the movie. Uh, uh, this, this is a game. This is based on. So since Dustin has been on our show last. Uh, in the group that we are all a part of, or I should say the three of us are, Adam is not a part of the group as far as I know, uh, the Dissolve, Dustin's been posting a lot of, we'll say, opinions that have gotten some very negative feedback. I was wondering if that was going to come up. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know what? And Dustin, I will say this is extremely sincere. Uh, Dustin, I, I think, has always had a very interesting taste. Uh, he likes a lot of stuff. He, he always has, I think, legitimate reasons for liking or disliking stuff. It's not like a troll situation. I think he just has a more idiosyncratic tastes than the mainstream in a lot of cases. And I always like hearing his opinion on stuff. You're going to make me bash South Park again, aren't you? <laughs> well, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge fan of that either. I think, yeah, I think time has come around to yeah. uh, to support you on that one. Oh, okay. Like I said, I I I like hearing uh, his opinion on stuff, even if I disagree. In general, it seems like lately our group does not, but uh, uh, they're worse off for it. But as long as we have you here, Dustin, and we we want to acknowledge that this has occurred with some very popular stuff, I've come up with a list of things that most people enjoy, and I'm going to give you very quickly the chance to answer if you like it. Or you dislike it. We don't need to get into why you like it. If you like it, just it's a yes or a no. Uh, but Peter and Adam get to play as well. And this game is called Who is the Most Dustin? <laughs> <laughs> maybe it'll be Dustin. Maybe it won't be. So these are some widely liked things that most people in the universe enjoy. Uh, and we're going to see what you think about it. So Dustin, you can go first on okay. Who's the Most Dustin? Mad Max Fury Road. Love it. Peter? piece in my opinion. Yeah, I love it. It's probably the best movie of, uh, what was it, 2015? Yes. Yep. Adam? Am I ask, answering for Dustin or for no. myself? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess if, if you've heard anything contrary to what he says, <laughs> yeah. feel free to rat him out, name names. Uh, yeah. uh, but no. Adam, is Dustin speaking to you right now? <laughs> <laughs> Either Adam or Dustin is just a voice that the other one's been. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm tapped. I've got this called tapped adam is aware of it so i might have to fire him <laughs> oh no <laughs> to cover um, up my to cover up our ties uh love uh mad max fury road this is a good opening salvo uh aaron okay so he said yes i assume i let my dog in yes <laughs> <laughs> great um, all right yep i'm doing some weird things behind the mic today guys <laughs> Trying out some stuff. You mean you're not masturbating? <laughs> I, I'm going to give my noise reducer a break this week. Yeah. Oh, that's what you call it. <laughs> yeah. Tantric podcasting. <laughs> I hold it for the very end. That's why it's so awkward. It's because I'm already blowing my load. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Breaking Bad. Dustin. Love it. Peter. Adam. <laughs> We we just keep going just to separate the Koskis. We'll put okay, a Peter. Okay, okay. We'll, you're in a you're in a Koski sandwich, Peter. I lo I, lo I love Breaking Bad. Uh, love it too. Okay, 
No one has any points on, on who's the most Dustin <laughs> yet. The, you've accidentally made a Dustin Kosky circle jerk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mystery Science Theater 3000, Dustin. Love it. Peter. Love it. Adam. Love it the most. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's, we can retitle this game, Dustin Makes Me Feel Good. <laughs> yeah. Dustin Adam, makes Adam, me feel good. Adam is the one who's pledged to it through for, through Kickstarter, so I'd say he's so he the wins. most Dustin on that one. Well, yeah, he'd, be the least, he'd be the least Dustin. Dustin. <laughs> oh, right. I forgot. Um, I love Buddy too much for that. Uh, all right. <laughs> Citizen Kane. Dustin. Love it. Peter? Love it. Adam? Do I have to be honest? Or- yes. <laughs> oh, damn. Okay. I uh, love it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought that was going to be a twist, but it is not. <laughs> no points. All right. Tom Hanks. Dustin. Don't Uh-oh. like. Oh, oh right. the first The first point he's, is awarded. He's, Ameri- he's America's uncle. He's the most lovable. He's a I lovable know, type. something kind of bland about everything he's done except for Bridge of Spies and Toy Story. That's my opinion. Bridge of Spies? E- everything he's ever done except Bridge of Spies? <laughs> I love that. I love, and, and, I love that and, even Adam is like. <laughs> and the Toy Story's them. movies. Okay. Okay. So not like uh, Captain Phillips. Ironically, he just got a point. So as much as we're angry, he's winning. <laughs> so, Peter. <laughs> Oh, and Castaway. Yeah. I don't know if like you can. I don't know too. if you can tell. I think. I think Tom Hanks is one of our best actors. Adam, uh, I I like him. I don't know what you're going to score that, but well, that's the <laughs> thing. I could say I liked him, but it's binary. It's binary. Okay. If it's binary. Then I'll go with love. Okay. Yeah. Pass fail. Okay. So Dustin has one point. Who's the most Dustin? I, I'm surprised how much dis disaffection there is for Bridge of Spies. I don't I dislike it, but, I mean, if I was naming top 20 Tom Hanks movies, I don't <laughs> think it would make it. <laughs> Let alone to be called out first in a Tom Hanks <laughs> love-a-thon. But, but that, I think it's because nobody saw it, right? That monologue he has about the rule book, I think, is one of his finest moments as an actor. He finally broke out of the bland rut he's been in for the last 30 years. <laughs> Boring everyone to pieces. Nobody yeah. likes that guy. Oh. <laughs> All right. Uh, dancing. Dustin. Love it. Peter. This is a wild card would, for Peter. <laughs> I would say, I would say, on the whole, it's going to get a fail from me. Okay. I do like doing it. All right. <laughs> Adam. Is there a movie called Dancing or just the No, this is just just no. the act of moving to music. Okay. Uh dislike or hate. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. It is tied one to one to one. This is very exciting. I uh, would say more than fifty percent of the time that I have to experience dancing, I'm like, mm, pass, you know? <laughs> it, it's enough for me to kick it all the way to hate, even though I'm otherwise okay. <laughs> Normal to positive towards it, but like uh, a grandma barely barely moving, but just kind of shaking her her hips a little bit. Like, yeah, obviously, like that's a, that's a clear winner. That's a it's, clear winner. It's <laughs> it's so weird. Clear that, that would be again really breaking into the psyche of Peter. His first thought of dancing <laughs> was a grandma barely moving her hip. Not like Michael Jackson. Not a time he was at the a wedding dancing. Just like. The weirdest possible place that your mind could go when you hear the word dancing. A, a um, bland viral video. Yeah. <laughs> at, at best. So I think this is a good time, a good time as any, to have a confession. 
about my history with dance. And that's... You, you think this is a good time mid-game show? I was in a subway, uh, not a subway sandwich place, uh, a subway in New York, and uh, a group of youths approached me. Um, they were wearing very, very cool clothing, a lot of bright, bright colors. Uh, one was carrying a boombox, and they approached me, and they cornered me, and then one threw down a uh, piece of cardboard and um, served me. And ever since then, I just don't know if I can ever truly get behind dance as a concept. Do you think this is like the post Jeopardy commercial break where we tell stories about ourselves? <laughs> I, I just assumed maybe like, I, I don't know, I can make a joke here on my own fucking podcast. That's not very me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, minus one point. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Web, who's the most Peter? <laughs> who's, the most, who's the most Peter? Uh, all right. Puppies. Dustin. I love puppies. Peter. Can't get enough of them. Love them. Adam. I know it's going to seem strategic, but, <laughs> but the mess they make and that, I, I just want a grown dog. Okay. That's fair. So, I believe, if I'm, if I'm tallying this correctly, Adam is winning who's the most Dustin <laughs> right now. <laughs> All right. The trick to really getting, like, the answers you wanted from this, Aaron, um, ask about edgy comedies. Those are the well, things but- that- where I really part with the rest of the world. See, we're, I really want to talk about widely beloved stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, but those are pretty universally popular. I mean, in, in our group, but most of them were canceled very clearly, <laughs> quickly. <laughs> no, 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 no. South Park lasted forever. Simpsons was considered edgy when it started out. It lasted forever. But you came, you came around George on Carlin. The Simpsons. I came around. Oh, on you don't Simpsons. like George yeah. Carlin? No, that's fucking insane. I would not. Be even slightly. I don't think I would even be in a comedy today if it wasn't for George Carlin. He's like one of my key heroes. That's crazy okay. to me. You seriously think that all of rape is funny because he said, what? "Imagine Elmer Fudd raping Porky Pig." <laughs> so wait, hold on, hold on. I'm your re- view. I'm your view. one of his most famous. Yeah, books. yeah. But your view on comedians is that if they make one joke that you don't like, oh, that the, you have to whole, throw the whole thing out. No, I can't keep insane. going. That's insane. His bit about bicycles is really stupid. Uh, his uh, bit... What? Sorry, go on. No, go on. <laughs> <laughs> it's turning into an old dissolved Dustin Post here. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> All right, Peter got, Peter got sucked into the thing we were doing. Yeah, we'll have you guys back. We'll have you guys back for the Dogma episode, and we won't even talk about that movie. We'll just talk about how awesome George Carlin is. All right, move on. Let's move it. You tricked me into digressing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, 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 I made you walk into that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Adam's winning. Most of them <laughs> got out. <laughs> Dustin, warm towels. Uh, sure, they're fine. Like. Okay, well, that's going to go down as a love. Oh, love. <laughs> okay. Peter? <laughs> just, for the, just for the record. Uh, do I have to, is there anything specific application I have to do with warm towels? or Just your general thoughts. Oh, I'm having sex with them? <laughs> I, no, I thought, you, I thought you said to fuck. No, I said warm towels. I said just general <laughs> thoughts, not to just fuck. in general. I mean, I I like them, especially if I'm cold. Yeah, they're great. Then you get out. You get out of the, the shower. You're you're all cold. You put on a warm towel. It's great, Adam. Oh, okay, I guess I always take hot showers, but I'm still in Wisconsin, so that could be why. I take hot showers too, but then you get out and then uh, the, the, the temperature shock of getting into like a, a cold room, it just feels so much colder. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I follow. I just, 
my it's still a little different because I usually just stay in the bathroom for a bit for for longer. Apparently, I like the idea that uh, you if you and me had a uh, me and Dustin on George Carlin, you and me had an, an argument about like thermo, thermodynamics. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe this one has caused the most internal debate. <laughs> Adam, love or hate warm towels? I can't say I love, therefore I hate warm okay. towels. Okay. You, you just want to win this. 3-1. I guess you prefer cold towels. Dustin, next time, if you guys still live together, put a towel in the freezer for a little bit. <laughs> Hang it up for him after the shower. See if he changes his mind. I'm spiteful enough to... Pretend I, I love it, though. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, fresh air, Dustin. Oh, I love that stuff. Unfortunately, we're having some problems with getting it because our neighbors are burning something every day. Yeah, I have that problem, too. Peter? <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys live next to a crematorium? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be um, someone. They seem to think so. <laughs> the neighbors are burning someone every day. <laughs> um, right, that's the mystery we have to solve. <laughs> fresh air. Fresh air. Uh, because of the podcast, I'm going to have to go negative. Okay, I saw pictures of you hiking today, though. Yeah, and I, lo- I love fresh air as like a concept, but I just really don't like uh, Terry Gross. Yeah, great. I guess, I guess you're right. The question wasn't specific enough. <laughs> Adam? I'm ignorant enough to say they like fresh air. Cause, uh... All right. So I think it's three to two to one. Adam's got three. Peter, two. Dustin is the least Dustin on the game show. Who's the most Dustin? Couple questions left. Cookies, Dustin. I absolutely love cookies, even oatmeal raisin ones. And that's true cookie love. You only love oatmeal raisin? No, even. <laughs> oh, even that. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would be a real Dustin answer. I love cookies. Oh, only yeah. oatmeal raisin. Chocolate chip. <laughs> garbage. Uh, those oatmeal raisins. Yeah, cookies uh, fucking rule, and I'm also I'm on that same page, Dustin. I think the uh, the people that whine about raisins and whine about oatmeal and cookies are uh, weirdos. Mm. I do whine about oatmeal and raisins together or separately. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't. Know. I mean, oatmeal has so many problems with like the way it dries, oh. and raisins get between your teeth. And I and really don't want to see you at the uh, Friars Club roast for the California raisins. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it got stuff. stuck between my teeth. So, so Adam, in general, putting aside in, the in general, I do love cookies. Okay. Dustin, sex. Not Dustin, sex. Sex. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I love it. Okay, Peter, loving it. How would you know? <laughs> Good, I've heard, good I've heard that audio of you. Say, I've heard that audio of you saying that you've never had sex. Uh, uh, that's uh, that's I false. I listen to this podcast. That's, that's libel. Um, I, I don't it's know. Act, it's actually that. slander. That is actually slander and libel. Aaron's got libel. a point when he said that. Um, I frankly, so I need out. I, I I need you to tell me where you found that. <laughs> uh, well, Peter can still like the concept. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that okay, it's there fine. for the people that use yeah. it. You know, Adam. Fine. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it because you know of evolutionary and historical reasons. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, the scientist. Thing. You know, is it is it too late to change my answer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. After hearing Adam, after ta- you've lost your love of se- 
not loving sex, you can't regain it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one can get their groove back. That would be crazy. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, eating cookies while having sex on a warm towel with while breathing fresh air. Dustin. That sounds exhausting. Okay. <laughs> I, ch- I would choke. <laughs> on the cookies? Yes. Okay. There's a lot well, of options. People choke on cookies. What do you... T- I mean, there's a that's towel. Weird, so this is a safety concern for you. That's weird skepticism you've got there. Okay. So this, is, this has nothing to do no with idea personal enjoyment. Yeah. <laughs> this has to do with uh, the safety features of, Peter. of this particular act. Uh, it sounds That sounds really great. I think that not liking... I don't dislike fresh air more than I like cookies or warm towels, uh, okay. cumulatively. I, I think... The sum is less than the parts in this case. <laughs> the logistics of arranging a warm towel. I feel like it's just like having sex on a beach while eating a cookie. <laughs> Don't have not, sex not... on a beach. They're, they're I, very fresh air. There's a towel. Well, you're doing it you've on the towel. Of, you've heard that, haven't you? About how unhygienic. No, no, no. Sand is coarse and it gets everywhere. Uh, yeah, no, I've heard that from <laughs> the love doctor himself. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it if someone could go ahead and get all the logistics together for me. But if I had to go ahead and do it, I would just hate it because it'd feel like work. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, five to three to two. Last one. Being on a podcast-based game show. <laughs> love it. Peter? Uh, love it. Sure. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love it too enough to per- encourage him perpetuate. Uh, uh, judge, uh, uh, judges, uh, he doesn't sound enthusiastic enough. Can we maybe make that a fail? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's okay. okay. Regardless, Adam won. <laughs> Who who's the most Dustin? Adam. None of you were no Dustin, but Dustin scraped a narrow victory from Peter. Uh, but Adam, Adam, Adam wins. Adam is the most Dustin. Adam, would you like to know your prize for today? Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? A clerk of the court is going to show up at your house tomorrow and legally change your name to Dustin Koski. How does it feel? Uh, that's actually pretty good. I don't mind uh, <laughs> taking Dustin's identity. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Phantom of the Paradise. Love it. Love, Love it. Everybody wins with Phantom of the Paradise. All right, we'll just we'll just go in on that. So I guess we all spoilers. Peter loved a fucking musical. Yes. Do you want to guys? I, do you guys want to start talking about the musical that Peter yes. loves so much? Uh, yes. Let's talk about. Let's talk about uh, Phantom of the Paradise. Roll on thunder, shine on lightning The days are long and the nights are frightening Nothing matters anyway and that's the hell of it Winter comes and the winds blow colder Well some go wiser, you just grew older You never listened anyway and that's the hell of it Good for nothing, bad in bed Nobody likes you and you better off dead Goodbye, goodbye We've all come to say goodbye, 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 goodbye Born defeated, died in vain Super destructive, you were hooked on pain And though your music lingers on All of us are glad you're gone If I could live my life half as worthlessly as you I'm convinced that I'll wind up burning too 
did a five-second recap earlier. Uh, Aaron, do you have any taglines for Phantom of the Paradise? The only musical that Peter Moran likes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually think this movie is like... So I guess if I did like a five-second tag thing, I would say... It's uh, people who take LSD when they're coming off of a Coke or a speed binge. Like, that's how the movie feels like to me. Like, they're taking, he's taking the edge off of this, like, nervous cocaine energy with, like, psychedelic craziness. I don't know. It only really feels like that to me in the editing, because some of the editing's kind of frenetic, but Ugh. nobody's super overacting. In you don't think opinion. the camera works? Well, okay, like I that? guess sometimes. Oh, that, that <laughs> editing is so fucking cool. Like, how he can just establish, he can establish, like, an entire... The movie can flip around in, what, at, like, 180 degrees in, like, three seconds. Like, his his arrest to him being in prison to uh, him being fucking... Uh, yeah. Escaping, hearing about the song, so escaping Three months later. To... Yeah. To him escaping prison and horribly debilitating himself. Uh, also, before then, his teeth getting pulled out. What is that? Like, fucking 45 seconds? It feels like it. It's got to be longer than that, but it <laughs> yeah. feels like it, right? All right. Quick quick 90-second recap. <laughs> um, 90-second recap. Uh, so, oh, you, go ahead, Dustin. Go nuts. A sort of bad boy duop band called the Juicy Fruits performs. Uh, they are not liked by a media mogul named Joe Swan. But he does like the person who auditions after them. His name is uh, Winslow Leach. He's performing his Faust rock opera, I think it is. Cantata? Cantata. Yeah, his Cantata. Cantata. (laughs) Okay. Swan Swan steals the musical from him, starts performing it without giving him any credit or royalties or anything. Winslow harasses him by breaking into his mansion to try to get the credit. He frames him for dealing dope and being a transvestite, I believe. And he gets him put in prison. While he's in prison, for some reason, Winslow Leach's teeth are pulled. Then he breaks out of prison after hearing about how um, Just Juan is going to perform his bastardized cantata, how the Juicy Fruits are going to perform his bastardized cantata. When he breaks out, he, he goes, he breaks into Joe Swan's factory Gets his face mutilated by a record press. Then he comes back and ends up blowing up the juicy fruits. But Swan figures out that he's the that Winslow Leach is the one who did it right away. He offer he puts Leach under contract so that his cantata will be performed his way, and so that Joe Swan's theater won't be blown up. Leach rewrites the musical, giving a girl he met named uh, sorry a woman he met named Phoenix. The lead role. Joe Swan switches um, out the woman named Phoenix for a performer named Beef. (laughs) Um, Yes, yes, they do. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The name, Beef. Yeah. (laughs) That's his name. (laughs) Winslow Leach, who's become the Phantom of the Paradise by now, breaks out of a prison that Joe Swan put him into, kills Beef. Joe Swan decides, after all, to go with Phoenix after she performs really well on stage. Leech tries to warn Phoenix not to get in bed with Joe Swan. And Phoenix responds by literally getting in bed with him because Winslow Leach creeps her out. (laughs) And Winslow Leach attempts suicide. Turns out he can't because he'd signed a contract earlier. And then he attempts to kill Joe Swan. Can't do that. Joe Swan had also signed a contract. Winslow Leach is sort of poking around, finds out that he has a tape that he's recorded of himself that ages instead of him, so it's the portrait of Dor- a picture of Dorian Gray. Destroys that, 
That kills Swan. It also kills Winslow Leach because the two of them were bound so that when Joe Swan died, he would die. And Phoenix is sad and everybody else is happy because they think it's part of a great show. End it. Hawk Hoy. That was great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Did I put them <laughs> off to sleep? No, no, no. That <laughs> was perfect. Thank you very much, Dustin. One minor correction. I. It's just Swan. I don't know where you got the Joe from. Oh. do it again your boy boy, rod sterling says oh yeah just swan Swan. he has no other name that's great i guess somehow joe swan became john snow but i thought it's not john snow it must be joe (laughs) joe snow it's not john swan it must be Joe. The only logical conclusion when a name isn't John is it must be Joe. Before the Dustin bot puts himself in an infinite loop and crashes. <laughs> let's let's talk about let's talk about some general thoughts. Uh so I can go first. I have seen this movie a couple times before. Uh we'll do a quick shout out. The reason I watched it, it was a dissolve movie of the week. And I was trying to watch all those, so I, I saw it for the first time about three, four years ago. Absolutely loved it. Uh, watched it again at some other point. Bought the movie. Uh, sent Peter the bonus features. Uh, if I could have those back, so I could watch those at some point, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> thought I was sending him the movie. Yeah, that was pretty, <laughs> that was pretty hilarious. I thought it was a, just a great prank. <laughs> Why would time? I do that? Was, Why would I do that two days before recording? It's a great Swanian prank. Oh, uh, you know, Blu-rays have like a Blu-ray and then a DVD. And I've done this before, like, oh, hey, I bought this Blu-ray. Peter, do you want the DVD? When I was looking to it, when I was watching it this time on the special features, I'm like, oh, that documentary is only on the DVD. That sucks. I didn't realize that. No big deal. I'll probably never watch it. Then Peter texts me like, did you just send me the documentary? (laughs) (laughs) It just started playing. It started playing. It was 50 minutes long and I couldn't turn off a commentary track going over it. And I was like, it's just a commentary track. I'll just turn this up. And then I couldn't turn it off. And I was like, oh, wait, this is just a documentary. What the fuck is this? Hilarious prank. on. Also, a movie that I purposefully learned nothing about. Like I know nothing. <laughs> like I know nothing about this movie, and I'm like, there's no way in fucking the '70s they made a 50 minute movie that begins with Brian De Palma talking about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I, I love that you thought it was the movie for even like half a second. I what did. The it was so is confusing. This? I was um, like. Uh, but I really like this. This gets compared a lot to Rocky Horror Picture in that it came out uh, within a year of each other. Uh, kind of that rock glam musical. And Rocky Horror was really successful. And this famously only took off in Winnipeg. This movie, so my, my kind of final thought is that, especially when compared to Rocky Horror Picture Show, um, I should say I, I absolutely love this movie. Um, I do like Rocky Horror Picture. I actually think the songs in Rocky Horror are a little better. Not saying I don't like the songs in this. I love the songs in this. I just think... Uh, it doesn't have something as iconic as uh, Time Warp, but this movie is a million times better than Rocky Horror as a movie. Uh, so I absolutely love it. And I, I it yeah. feels so un De Palma besides for the direction. It's crazy to me that he wrote this. This feels like yeah. something that someone else would have written. I really love this era of directors where like they didn't have um, they didn't have like this expectation of success. Like, now when an indie picture person usually, you know, has a hit, 
and becomes a little bit famous, now he's on a franchise or now he's doing something bigger. And this, it, and so it doesn't allow this kind of weird jumping from genres that this era did. And I can't think of a better example than fucking Brian De Palma directing a rock opera in 1974. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm i not actually a big – I'll let the the – Dustin and Adam go before me, but I, I will note that like I think the music in Rocky Horror is a little better or as good, but I just don't like Rocky Horror as a movie that I've only watched on DVD at home. I'm sure if I actually saw it for the full experience, I'd enjoy it, but at home, it's a fucking boring movie, which this movie is not. Yes. Uh, what, are you guys, what are your guys' thoughts on this movie? Adam, do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Like I said earlier, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, the song's... Kind of resonate with me a little bit more than Rocky Horror. Yeah, they're they're a little less hit or miss to me because some of Rocky Horror ones kind of really live me cold, and the other ones I enjoy. Whereas these ones are kind of a more steady level of, of enjoyment, and they progress. They're more in the movie. They're they're more progressing and laid things than Rocky Horror songs are, which are kind of more meant to be poppy catchy yeah yeah they're supposed to be the musical thing that people sing along at, and these just feel like you know 70s piano rock songs that are just happen to be in a musical that people are singing them uh definitely enjoyed the most aspects of this movie the production design most of the cinematography yeah. the i enjoyed the overall not not in a bad way but frankensteinian way of sewing different stories and plot elements together it creates this kind of world that is uh, yeah it's a rip paradise. off of so many stories it's it, it, <laughs> it can't help but feel fresh yeah it, it's 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 a this conglomeration this like unholy bastardization of like eight different sources all smashed together and i fucking i love that about it i don't know, I, I was left kind of wanting a bit more i know it doesn't really lend itself or maybe more another type of movie like this even most rock operas aren't really like this exactly so that was kind of my feeling at the end was kind of oh damn it's over <laughs> i felt the same way my opinion on it is this is uh my favorite of de palma's movies it just barely edges out carrie uh but still it does aside from the opening number i love all the songs you've all said it's better as a movie than the rocky horror picture show and Peter suggested he might have enjoyed the Rocky Horror Picture Show better if he went and seen it with an audience. Mm -hmm. I did see it with an audience. And there's something so ritualistic and rote about the weird, wacky audience stuff you're supposed to do when you sit in an audience that it kind of squashes the fun, in my opinion. Yeah, I know. I'm also sure seeing people have fun is something that just fills you with a rage. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it could have been more spontaneous. Was my feeling? I should say I've never, I've never seen it live. I've only seen it on DVD, I, and I like it. Yeah. So, uh, Dustin, yeah. Dustin, do you have any, do you have any final thoughts in the movie overall? You, you love it. You think it's the best, your favorite De Palma at least. Um, do you have any final sort of intro thoughts to the movie before we get going? Because I have, I have some big thoughts. Em and I watched it three times today <laughs> while we were researching it, and I did not get bored of it at any time oh that's awesome um so yeah i'd never seen it before um i fucking loved it uh i know that i've been this month we've had a couple like eh, it's okay or like newsies i wasn't really all that positive on um 
And, you know, next week is going to be Xanadu. And don't worry. Next year, I think we're going to do a musical. If Aaron's okay with it, I'd like to do a musical May again. And we'll sort of crowdsource the, the answers for what we're going to do. I, I think we have a huge list that is probably better than 75% of the list that we came up with this month. But... I think we were really pushing for stuff that we hadn't seen, or at least one of us hadn't seen, and I don't think we necessarily need to do that again. Yeah. But I would have loved okay, I was very excited for you to see this one, Peter. Yes. I would have loved a month of just like Phantom of the Paradise movies. Like yeah. entries where I was just like, oh shit, this has changed my mind on on the format. Because like Fan of the Paradise was like a transformative thing. Like, okay, so I usually take kind of a lot of notes when I'm, I'm recording. The only time I don't take a lot of notes is when I like love, love the movie. If I appreciate the movie, I actually might take a lot of notes because I'm like, oh, that's something I want to touch on. That's something I want to touch on. I have like a like a love affair with this movie. Like I, I had my laptop open. I have I have literally a Google Doc that says Phantom of the Paradise at the top. Zero notes. Yeah, it's hard to take notes when you're masturbating. Yeah, I was just just, just going just at it. Just loving the movie. Oh, just going at it. Um, so yeah, I, I one thing I love about it is that I think the music is terrific. Uh, I've listened to the soundtrack. It's only like, I don't know, like 25 minutes or something. I've listened to it like seven times today. Uh, as soon as I found out it was on Spotify, I was like, oh shit. I, it's this beautiful era of music that I'm just really fond of. And it has Paul Williams worked on it. And uh, Paul Williams wrote uh, maybe my, like, one of my favorite songs of all time, which is Rainbow Connection. Yeah, so there's, there's, a, there's a small handful of these songs that can make me cry. Anybody that can, that can write one of those gets this, like, hall of personal Hall of Fame status for me. And he is such this, like, this wonderful portrait of Satan. Like, especially compared to, like, uh, ooh, what's the movie with where uh, Viggo Mortensen plays Satan? Prophecy? Oh, yeah, the Christopher Walken movie, The Prophecy. Yes, uh, Prophecy, uh, Constantine has a really great Satan performance in Peter Stormare, Devil's Advocate has a really fun one, though, like, the end of that movie just fucking falls apart in Al Pacino. Uh, there's, like, a lot of movies with these really great devil, uh, devil, uh, performances, and, uh, though Paul Williams in this movie is not literally the devil. He, his, he plays a yeah, reflection of the devil at one yes. point. Yes. But he's not, he's not the devil because for the whole thing. the devil is... I, th I thought that was great because you could, like, read into it if you want to be pretentious about this movie, which I imagine most people don't want to, but I do. Um, that's saying the devil is a reflection of your own evil, not a separate entity. I think in a more metatextual sense, he is he is the devil. You could also say that he is a character named Swan who now has basically mirrored the devil if the devil is a separate entity. like you, There's a bunch of ways you can look at it, and I think that the depiction of Satan in this is really, really lovely and elegant, and the idea of having it be Paul Williams' double in a mirror is, like, really creepy as opposed to just, like... It's, I think it would have been really hard to do anything else for a movie like this. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm ranting because I'm, I'm in love with this movie and I... I, I and and uh, you just saw it. So it has that like kind of like new relationship. Yeah, somehow. that's so yeah. true. I did refer to it as a love affair like 900 minutes ago when I started talking about this. So let's, let's fucking stop my ranting. Let's get into the movie because I, I, I loved it. Yeah, as long as you start talking about Paul Williams, though. So I have such a weird relationship with Paul Williams in that, I, again, I, I've called The Rainbow Connection my favorite song of all time. But I was aware of him from Aww, such an Aaron. early age 
because uh, he hosted the old 70s Muppet show for an episode and we didn't have cable. And occasionally, I'm not sure how it worked back then, but like occasionally you just got free cable for like a couple days or something like that. Like a, it, a, a, you know, a, a taster. Like the first yeah. one's free. <laughs> Exa- well, exactly. I mean, it used to happen. Uh, and we would record a bunch of stuff. And one of my favorite things to record was uh, they used to show, you know, the Muppet Show on Nick at Night. One of the episodes we had recorded was Paul Williams hosting. <laughs> so I was extremely aware of him uh, by name uh, from from a young age and knew like his song, you know, uh, just an old fashioned love song. Uh, and then obviously later found out he wrote the Rainbow Connection. Obviously had a big uh, thing with the Muppets. So I've always kind of been a big Paul Williams fan uh, and just somehow never even realized that he had anything to do with this movie or that this movie really existed. This was I, – I don't, I don't know how I totally missed this period. I feel like the first time I really heard about it or was aware of it was from that Dissolve stuff. So, yeah, he's, the music in here is so – Good. And Dustin, I'm actually kind of surprised you don't like the first song because that – if I'm naming favorite songs, I would name the first one, the Paul Williams uh, version of Faust that kind of is right before the end credits. But yeah, so – and the final song, Hell of It. Like those are by far my three favorite songs that stand out from this movie. I agree, Aaron. That first song really kicks in the door for me where it's just uh, that that lone singer just going at it. And you kind of think it's going to be like – I almost thought it was going to have something to do with the movie, and it really doesn't. Like, it's it's kind of telling the story of the movie. That's what I didn't like about it, that it's not introducing anybody, and it's not uh, really thematically tying in, except maybe that you could say it's them showing, this is the sorry state of the music industry right now. But it's so catchy. It's a beautiful song, though. Yeah. It's and it's like it, it like in retrospect, like yeah, at the time it might have felt like that, but in retrospect, like this is a type of pop music. This like rockabilly nostalgia wave thing is something that I kind of uh, dig. And also, this is something is Swan produces band, right? Didn't they say yeah. in the, that weird intro thing that like Swan was behind the nostalgia wave? He's just kind of sick of it. Well, yeah, because he announces that as at his airport press conference too, where he's like, "We've been we've been like profiting off the past, and now it's time to move into the future." I fucking love what? that song that that Beach Boys parody where it starts with like upholstery. You know, it's about carburetors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Upholstery is great. And you actually – I feel like you need to listen to the soundtrack to get that because upholstery is done during one of those split shots where it's it's like identical timing, one of Brian De Palma's famous shots where there's basically you – get, you get half the screen and there's a bunch of stuff going on and that culminates in the Phantom blowing up a car. So I – I feel like every time I watch the movie, I never notice the song. But one thing I mentioned I'm doing for this podcast is listening to the soundtracks a bunch of times after the movie. And yeah, upholstery really is 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 phenomenal. It's a great Beach Boys pastiche. There's there, the couple of Beach Boys pastiches that happen when he moves on. Swan is moving on from rockabilly into um, rockabilly into like surf rock. Uh, those Beach Boy pastiches are great. It reminds me of because they're actually like good songs, but they're like kind of, uh, almost like a parody of the beach boys it kind of reminds me of there's a band called explorers club which is like trying to capture that beach boys energy and it reminded me of that where it's like so specifically trying to nostalgia mine that like if you're not on board with this this has to be irritating to hear so what kind of songs what, what did you guys like obviously dustin for some reason you don't like the first one 
I was like, I was like acting uh, like I don't understand something that was just explained to me that I don't like. <laughs> I liked, I really liked Faust, uh, both versions of it. I think I liked Paul Williams doing it slightly more than Bill Finley. The first version yeah, of I Faust like, I prefer, I think. No, no, no. I mean, when it's just, when it, there's a version where it's just Paul Williams doing a solo well, with a piano. I, I really enjoy, it's on the soundtrack. I really enjoy that version. I enjoy Beef's uh, version <laughs> of uh, Coming to Life. Uh, wasn't crazy about the Kiss parody, and I listened to the hell of it like ten times, independent of watching the I'm, n- I'm never going to have oh. that little circus beat at the end, or carnival beat at the end out of my head, I think. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-
But he is so naive and so dumb. And then overreacts to everything. Like I, I think that's a that's a feature, yeah, but- not a bug. That he is like <laughs> he is so clearly getting manipulated by someone much more charismatic, much more interesting, smarter than him. And at no point does he pick it up. And I think a lot of times these fables, which this is, this is a retelling of you know Faust. It's a retelling of Phantom of the Opera. I think they work better with a a quote unquote protagonist that you can't really latch onto because. All you can do is at best like pity him and go, okay, you fucking moron. You see again? Why are you wandering in like, oh, he hasn't called me for a month. He's producing a show named the same thing. I guess he was, like it's like the whole he just constantly doesn't get it and then is like, well, of course I'm gonna win at court. And then what? I'm going to jail. Like it's so it's so obvious that you're not supposed to actually be rooting for him at some point uh, because he's also a pretentious asshole. Like he and, and a jerk. Yeah, he is. He's a jerk. He he's a pretentious for, asshole. He suspects for like. Two seconds, which is apparently all his brain can <laughs> uh, process, that he might be screwed when he's holding zero of the cards. Yeah. And Swan has sent his assistant to talk to him. And Leech literally attacks his <laughs> <Yeah>. assistant. <laughs> Swan's assistant. Well, even which at might the end. Be why, which might he, be why he gets um, the heave ho, right? Like, yeah. why does. Why- yeah, Swan was like. Boy, I'm gonna I'm gonna make that guy big. He's gonna be famous. Then he heard from his assistant, "What a do the whole opera? Oh, screw him!" <laughs> like that might be like it might just be that Swan is this evil, voracious vulture of young talent and innocence. But it might also be because this dude fucked himself. Well, he did because I think he would have been fine because they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna buy your music." He's like, "Okay, but you gotta do it all, and you gotta do it like this, and then please do this." And he's like, "Okay, well, we're just gonna take these pages, buddy. Like, you are a ridiculous person." And I feel like that goes to the very end too. You know, he wants Phoenix to be the singer, and he gets what he wants. And then the second she does her first show, he's like, "No, you can never do this here again. <laughs> Get out! Get out!" It's like you. This is what. This was your whole thing. This is why you were threatening to murder people, murdering people, causing chaos was for Phoenix to sing your show. You get it. And then you're like, we need to not do it at the paradise. It's like, what, <laughs> what is your end game? Where's this going? Well, it's, I, I can understand him not wanting Swan to produce it after like the third fucking over. But, <laughs> <laughs> but fool me once, shame on you. Produce. Fool me twice, shame on shame on, on you again. Shame on you again. Sh- fool me three times. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I'm starting to think I should have trusted you, but shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> and he, since he is a terrorist, I don't think he'd be able to get that show produced somewhere else while looking like a horrify while looking like a freakish monster. Oh god, his transformation is amazing because the movie's just like and then he's a monster. It's not like let's have the slow, dignified progression. No, 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 no. It's like, oh yeah, he gets his face smashed in, and he uh, has to wear this fucking helmet, and he loses his teeth because of some fucking insane criminal theory by a dude that's like never worked, but is also like eighty years uh, out of date. Yeah, it's just some random. Uh, according to one of the documentaries, it just seems to be just. A random thing that De Palma happened to read in a book. It's, it's in the in <laughs> and the. And he just yeah. took it word for word and stuck it into this movie, the tooth thing. Mind went to the Les Mis musical when Colette. I want to say, or I might be confusing. Phoenix. Les <laughs> Mis Rob. When John the, No, the woman, the 
Well, Cosette. I mean, Cosette. Okay. She has her teeth removed, has to sell first her teeth, and then she has to sell her hair, and then she has to sell her Oh, no, body. no, no. Cosette's mom. <laughs> I, I do like Les Mis, every version of it I've seen. I've never seen uh, Les Mis. I'm a Les Mis virgin. Okay. And only that kind. <laughs> oh, I was going to say Eddie Dean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a virgin. <laughs> open open and end the show. <laughs> <laughs> now he, but now he said and only that kind. And only only so that can do anything. I'm I'm sure he said sex at some point. <laughs> I'm a sex virgin, but only that kind. I'm a right. sex okay, virgin. Okay. Oh, I was gonna say sex, and you could put that in. <laughs> I'm a <Okay>. sex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I actually want to circle back on something related to De Palma. So besides, like I mentioned, how weird it is that he made this movie. Wonderfully weird, I should say. Uh, I think one thing that's very interesting to note is uh, that's that psycho scene. The scene where uh, he uh, beef is in the shower and he pops in just like Anthony Perkins in Psycho. Except instead of uh, a knife in his hand, he has a plunger. And he puts the plunger on his face and says, if you sing again, I'm going to knife you. Which I think is a really funny scene, but also I think is like the perfect parody of a Brian De Palma film. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, I've always been under the impression that like De Palma knows he's doing uh, Hitchcock riffs. And so the, the criticism that he just likes to rip off Hitchcock has never really held any water with me. It's like someone saying that like, oh, oh, you're making a blockbuster while you're ripping off Spielberg. Hitchcock was so big and so influential. And I know that De Palma is really going to some specific areas, but he's aware of it. And the fact that like this scene is such the, hey, guys, I know what I'm doing with this stuff. I'm, I'm, I have a point and I'm trying to comment on it and make new ideas on it is is really great i think he got some bad reviews for sisters people calling it a hitchcock ripoff and this was his revenge he took it out on a character in a different movie uh as long as we're talking about beef uh i kind of want to talk about that character a little bit in that i think i think uh holy cow does the actor do a hell of a job with a wildly offensive character (laughs) Um. <laughs> yeah. He, he. But he's he's so funny though. Like he really is funny, and not like oh look funny because they're making funny, him funny. play like a stand up comic version of like a gay person, which they are, which is unfortunate. But like he has the one of the funniest lines in the movie, which is um, and he kills it where he says, "I know drug real from real real." <laughs> <laughs> that was real real. I I was like pretty I was pretty okay with it because like his flamboyance is not I don't think they play his flamboyance as a Joe really like they play like he has actual joke jokes he just happens to be a flamboyant rock personality every single one of his complaints and every time that he tries to like do something is totally legit like when he complains about the piece being written too high he's like I can't hit these notes. It was written for a woman. That is a normal thing for a musician to say. And then when he runs away from the, th- the, 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 you know, the, uh, right after that shower scene, he runs away from the scene and he's like, uh, has his bags and everything. Like, he's not coded as a coward there. He's coded as a smart person who's like, if I stay in this movie, I'm going to get murdered. <laughs> so like, especially since that theater had already been bombed. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Nobody's even- He's he's like the he's like a gay stereotype, but he's also an only sane man. 
I don't I don't mind giving it the benefit of the doubt. I mean, there were, like I said, 75% of it there was nothing that that raised an eyebrow. So Yeah. If we're uh if we're being if we're, if we're, if uh what does it say is if uh, there's something if we're if there's nothing if there's something that I missed here uh then uh, feel free write to write your letters let to know. Pete Moran care of San Diego <laughs> call me specifically out on Facebook on the Facebook group but can we talk about Garrett Graham real quick cuz I think he's great in this movie and he helps yeah make this more than just a, a, a Yeah oh a he's teacher. so he's so yeah, he's, fucking funny in this movie he, he no, really is on the commentary track he was like oh they made me play like this camp gay character i thought that was unfunny so it, he was got what they were going i think maybe it's partially him who saved it yeah maybe maybe they handed him a bucket of acid and he was like i'm gonna pour about three buckets of water in this and see how it goes <laughs> um <laughs> yeah he plays uh garrett graham who i'm a really fa- a big fan of as an actor um he's been in a lot of trash and a lot of really good stuff uh, he's Franklin Sherman on The Critic, the the crazy uh, patriarch of the, the the rich family. More importantly, he's in Terrorvision. <laughs> he isn't. Didn't see it. He isn't a lot of like really greatly named horror movies like Terrorvision and Demon Seed and like Curse of the Demon Seed. Like his IMDb page is fun just to read as 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 literature. He thought about uh, the beef character is that the song, the hell of it, was going to be for his funeral, but they decided to edit it out and obviously move it to the end. That makes sense because it is it is really weird to have, like, if not the best song, one of the top three best songs on the on the soundtrack play over the credits. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I kept watching the movie until it actually, like, ended because yeah. I was like, this song is awesome. Can we talk about how he died? Which is... Uh, <laughs> yes, it is one of the most hilarious deaths in a movie. He basically died by a strobe light. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What happens is, for, for the benefit of the audience, he's singing Winslow Leech's song after Winslow Leach told him, sing and you die. So Leach sets up a neon lightning bolt prop, throws it onto the stage via a fish line... It falls behind beef, it explodes, and somehow that kills him. <laughs> um, so, I, I feel like we should say, you know, for being offensive, if uh, any member of your family has been, you know, killed uh, in a strobe light accident, um, <laughs> we're sorry. We don't mean to make light of this serious issue, but, um, you know, we're just trying to have some fun here. It is a thunderbolt. It is a thunderbolt that is somehow on a tether... It's a tether that's perfectly lined up to murder him. Like, like uh, this, this, this thing has been contrived to murder him exactly standing in that spot. Like, there's not, it's not like he's, he's going up to it and he's like, I'm going to pick Thunderbolts 9A. Like, it's the one Thunderbolt and it's perfectly aligned. You know, well, I, I assume Leech set it up because he's a crazy person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anything in this movie, you could just give the pass to the pass to just be like, well, uh, yeah, a crazy fucking dude with a silver teeth and uh, you know a, a mask and a fucked up voice. He, <laughs> there, there, that person did all of it. You know, speaking of the I fucked mean, up voice thing. It almost feels like if this movie was made 20 years, 30 years, 40 years later, it feels like they're commenting on like the overproduction of like music, auto tune and stuff like that. The way they're able to like that whole scene where he can't sing and they're fine tuning his like voice box and recording so that after the accident, he's still able to uh, sing the same way he was able to. It, it feels so precious. No, 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 no. 
He doesn't sing the same way he used to. He now sounds like Swan. I assumed that was going to be part. First time I saw this, I thought, aha, he's going to reveal that he can sing like Swan through that voice. And it turns out Swan can't actually sing. And that ruins his reputation. Swan was only using like 70s auto-tune. Yeah. Well, he says specifically in one of the best lines of the movie, I abhor perfection in anyone other than myself. (laughs) (laughs) I can agree with that. Yeah, it does feel like a a prescient commentary on the future of rock music, though, that uh, is very, very humorous. I think they had to rob him of something because they had to rob him of that because at the beginning of the movie, he has such a beautiful voice that it would it, it, it wouldn't quite make sense for him to put all of his hopes and dreams into Phoenix uh, unless he himself was also incapable of performing now because we've just been shown that he has a beautiful voice. Like, maybe not the stage presence, maybe not all that, but, like, they had to, they had to make, put more of the marbles into, into the Phoenix basket, I think. It seems kind of strange that they kind of set up the, his being able to sing, like Dustin said, and also, like, the Maltese, and that stuff doesn't really pay off exactly in the... Story. Well, it looks cool as shit, Adam. That's what you're... Oh, that's true. <laughs> Good point. Overlooking. Like he uses his metal teeth to bite somebody or <laughs> bite through when he thinks. Well, this is after Live and Let Die and those uh, Spy You Loved Me, the the Jaws, <laughs> the Jaws where featuring... We, where, we learned that, where we learned that uh, the problem with all of our teeth in biting through steel is that we don't have steel teeth. Like we, <laughs> It has nothing to do with uh, jaw strength or anything like that. It's just we need to have harder teeth. I mean, Adam's a scientist. He can confirm. Uh, Adam, can you confirm? As long as you have the power of will to do it uh, and believe. And you believe. In yourself. Yeah. yeah. Adam, just uh, Adam, just a quick thing. Don't embarrass you or anything. But before you start talking, can you always start the statement with, as a scientist, I. Uh, <laughs> as a scientist, I can do <laughs> All right, Aaron, edit that in front of everything you said. <laughs> One thing I don't want I don't want us to pass over because there are I know there's so many good parts of this movie that are worth talking about, but I think this movie is very unique in that it's not just a musical, it's a horror musical. It's not only a horror movie. It's definitely a pastiche of different genres, but the horror in this movie is very effective and somewhat underplayed. Really? I think so. I think the boy, I th- I I didn't find this even a little scary. I think that some of the effects of, like, him getting crushed is, like, significantly, at least for a moment, like, visceral enough to be affecting. Um, And I think that whole scene where you kind of figure out what's going on, uh, where they're on the rooftop and he's like, if he tries to kill himself and he says that's not going to do anything and then he stabs Swan and Swan says, yeah, I'm under contract too. I think at the very least, it's very chilling where that goes yeah. to. Uh, and then, you know, there's the whole video camera scene. Like, it's not, like, scary in the sense that I was, like, covering my eyes or, like, fearful. <laughs> but it is, like, tingle down your spine. Like, oh, this is bizarre. This, there's layers here that are affecting in the the way that a lot of good horror movies are. Yeah. I disagree because those all seemed like they were kind of played as jokes. Like, when his face gets stuck in the record press, that's just, that seemed more to him like him being such a bungling screw-up that I was laughing when that happened. Well, I think it's a joke, but I think the effect itself is, like, visceral. Like, it's uh, not, 
it, it communicates the appropriate horror of getting your face smashed in, I think. That isn't like Naked Gun. Yeah, I, I think it's supposed to be scary because of the scene after that where he's like, oh, uh, it's it's one of the few shaky cam moments in the film where uh, handheld camera work, I should say. This is pre the shaky cam revolution. Uh, he's, he's running around and he's, he's falling on cars and shit. He's kind of crying and screaming like that part. I thought was really viscerally sad, like that he can't he cannot catch a break even after breaking himself out of prison. Apparently, that was the fear of being pressed kind of became real because they had set up some security measures uh, for, to prevent it from crushing. But the machine kind of overrid it and he kind of uh, got out of the machine. Finley just got out of the machine just in time. That's a fair fear. He mean, he means while during the shoot. Oh my god! Yeah, during the shoot, that would be that would be fucking terrifying. Oh my god! And they had him do some more takes <laughs> later. Oh, <laughs> that's like I, I, that, fortunately he was okay. Yeah, I, I, I hope they did more takes later. They just like replaced one of the belts with like a foam version or something because that's like <laughs> that's brutal. And when they do the thing on the roof with the. With the contracts, that's, like, two contract jokes in a row. But I don't think it's a joke. Like, I honestly think it's supposed to be adding layers you weren't expecting that are that that are horrifying. Because at first, it's kind of this story of the Phantom of the Opera, where there's a bumbling fool uh, that gets his work taken from him, gets deformed, and then wants to take revenge. And that's kind of what the story is. Like, obviously, Swan makes him sign in blood, and there's some, there's some signalers that there's more going on here. But... It's it's when you kind of realize that there's an entirely – I mean, it's the Faust element, of course, but it is that other element and it adds a scary component to the movie. The realization that there's no way out, which is, you know, that's horror, is being in a terrible situation that you you are stuck in. And in this case, it's like for eternity in some ways. I'm with, I'm with mm-hmm. Aaron, yeah. I guess I have fully become dusted then, because <laughs> I'm disagreeing with everybody else. I'd say at at most it's horror comedy. Well, how about when he um they're doing the cast of Malago thing and he's sealing him in there because he won't die. He w- he would just spend until the masonry falls down. Or yeah. Whatever. Trapped in that space. Well, I think the entire ending is is, so is is horrific chaos. Like it's not without humor, but it, we've talked about in this show before. There's a difference between like horror comedy and like horror with comedic elements. And I think in the back half of this movie, it's it's much more leaning towards horror with comedic elements that aren't detracting from the the scariness. Like it gets super dark. You know, his the person that, he, you know, he was trying to fall in love with, even though he was he was the complete controlling asshole in that situation. You know, she is basically leaves him and then everything starts breaking down. People start dying. And the last 15 minutes are just masterful in their unending nonsense chaos that just undoes everything and then leaves you with with that. Yeah, I, I agree. And the ending especially sort of brings in the audience component, I think, more than the movie previously had. That they're this sort of voracious animals that, like, when given the, the, the opportunity, will, like, swarm the stage and, like, try and, you know, take on, you know, become part of the performance. Like, that's uh, 
that's a really scary moment when it's just this throng of people almost drowning the action. Like that's a yeah. I I think the end of the end he takes off that mask, that creepy silver mask, yeah. and he's like deformed. Like I think I think the movie is. If not, you know, actually scary, it at least has horror elements that I think resonate despite the cocaine energy, candy colored musical trappings. Yeah, it's Twilight Zone horror. It's not scary, not keep you up at night, but the implications of what you see, what you have seen uh, terrify you. Yeah, I agree. Well, creep you out at least or are haunting. Yeah, exactly. Ter- maybe maybe terrify you is too strong of a word, but leaves Chill. you with something chills you. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. Societal horror is kind of more is a deeper in a way than like a slasher or a lot some other horror genres. And this is kind of you know showing as you said how awful people and audiences can be. Yeah, how, how much I guess there always has been any even when De Palma tries to do like a straight horror he can't resist throwing some comedy in there. Yeah. Like in Carrie, in Carrie there's the fast-forwarded uh, dress-up montage scene before the prom and that kind of thing. And in Sisters, there's the dead body that's still being yeah. <laughs> shipped around yeah. inside of a... I can see where Dustin's coming from because there's outright parody in this movie. Absolutely, of, of all the of, of all of the elements, like, and there's a, there's a parody of Psycho in a movie that he would go on to make a an homage, like a very sincere homage to Psycho later with with Dress to Kill. Like that's that's crazy. You mean fromage? <laughs> <laughs> that's, suppos- that's supposedly what Hitchcock said after he saw Dress to Kill and somebody told him it's an old Yeah, movie. yeah. What did he say? Hitchcock was not... John Landis. Yeah, Hitchcock was not very uh, happy with the comparison <laughs> between the two, which is kind of, in, in hindsight, is a little unfair. We can have both. Well, I think, you know, why this works, and when, when it works in horror movies, I think it, it does cause that chilling effect, is that... Most horror movies, what are you trying to escape? You're trying to escape death, right? So what if the horror that's surrounding you can't even get escaped but you can't even escape by death? I mean, that's kind of the 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 foundation for some of the best horror stories, or at least from a supernatural or these deals with the devils, or even, you know, some Lovecraftian stuff, that there's just no escape, not even not even death, which you want to avoid at all costs, can get you out of the situation. And so I think it's effective here. I think I, as a as a kid, I was very, very scared of the... I heard the concept of Angel Heart when I was like 10 or 11, that you could sell your soul for something and then not find out until your deathbed that you had done so, because like you had been given this blindfold, like the truth had been occluded from you. And that concept, as a kid, scared me so much. Well, to me, that doesn't resonate because he didn't exactly sell his soul or the impetus that got him to into the situation wasn't selling his soul. It was selling a terrible idea for a musical. To me, that that just lightens the whole. But he bound himself. Matter. But he bound himself to Swan. That's why. Yeah, he, he, he didn't. He didn't read the contract. Yeah, and the idea yeah, that he he, he doesn't know. Oh, yeah. he Spoilers. Doesn't know that it, 
That's why it's a surprise to him when he yeah. di- when he doesn't die. Like it's a surprise. <laughs> yeah, and and it's a surprise to the audience too because we weren't informed that that was the case. It probably resonates because hey, spoilers. We've probably done the same thing in one of our iTunes agreements. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have to write a shitty rock opera now. <laughs> well, I guess I guess if it can be terrible, that makes it a lot easier. Yeah, it's true. You could just be like, and then I did a rock song. I wrote a song. I did the song. Peter, <laughs> Peter, you never told me you were so gifted. And I wrote a rock song, did a rock opera. I can just do it right now. Yeah. Knock that one out of the park. Big twist. <laughs> <laughs> the twist, it has to get a Metacritic score higher than... so uh so i know we we've talked a lot we've been bouncing all around uh let's talk about some scenes that that really worked for us before we go to before we go to final thought i love beef's performance because if you're like me inclined to think that beef is in any any way a subversive or positive portrayal of sort of a stereotypical gay person then the way he does silly stuff while he's on stage, like the chicken dance while he's up there and blows kisses to a guy in the audience and things like that, it feels like his character is a gay guy making fun of what heterosexuals think masculinity is with his deep voice and all that. So it, it feels like... And one of the primary jokes is the contrast between his deep stage voice and his relatively uh, effete behind-the-scenes voice. I mean, even even before the lightning bolt, I was uh, really enjoying that scene. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, again, it's a really good performance. I guess the greatest the greatest test of whether or not a musician in a movie fail uh, succeeds uh, as a good performance, and obviously this is in situations where in the movie it's supposed to be a good performance, would you pay a reasonable amount of money to go see that person live? I would totally watch the the beef show, whatever the... I, I like the setup to it and that weird, like, yeah, like Kiss-style uh, intro where they're, like, talking about beef as this, like, monster that's going to deliver them. Like, that just seems... That seems like a really fun fun thing, and it feels very Rocky Horror. Uh, the best parts of Rocky Horror, I should say. Um, I would totally go see that show. And I would love yeah, and that whole that whole intro scene with the Dr. Caligari background and... Yeah, the uh, big German I, expressionist stuff is so cool. Yeah, and I really like that song that kind of intros it quite a bit. Yeah. Somebody Super Like You. Yeah. Which I also... I love the title, too. It's my favorite title. I think maybe... Well, I'll say I'll say any musical that I can think of because it's such a it's such a dumb and clever title at the same time. Somebody super like you. And I even like that before, like a scene earlier, Swan is dressed like Dr. Calendar yeah. <laughs> when he's introducing beef. So I guess they're everybody's getting into that one. In a way, he's also kind of just like a, a penguin. If you think about Paul Williams going on to voice. The Penguin in the Batman animated series. Oh, I didn't even put that together. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good catch. You flying rodent. <laughs> <laughs> if, if this movie is about anything, it's about apparently predicting the future. Auto-tune. <laughs> dress Paul Williams like the Penguin. <laughs> the movie's aged really well. Auto-tuning. Especially if you love that, like, Billy Joel rockabilly era and yeah. and also James some Taylor. of that, like, late 70s stuff. Yeah, if you like any of that kind of music, I think the movie has aged really well from that perspective. A- Adam, did it's, you have any... Sorry, did you have any scenes? It's, it's not the exact scene, 
but the way kind of the musical theme esca- of kind of violence uh, escalates from kind of the doo-wop where uh, Goodbye, Eddie Goodbye is about a heartbroken singer who commits suicide. And then it goes to them car explosion, which isn't doesn't fit perfectly, but then them uh, cutting up people and pretend to create the Frankenstein creature, beast accidental death, and then the combination of like a premeditated murder. Swan says assassination live on coast to coast television. <laughs> That's entertainment, and we have kind of a mini red wedding going on with pretty much everybody. Nearly everybody dying, it seems. I like that you said beef's accidental death for a second. Well, and I was like, I was like, Adam, mean... I don't know how to tell you this. <laughs> <laughs> he means probably the audience assumes it's an accidental death. Because at first, they think it's the... <laughs> okay. You didn't hear my holding up my fingers and quotation <laughs> no. marks. No. Because it's a, a podcast. We'll put an image it, file there. Great... <laughs> it's a great lesson for... Swan to take away from that is oh gotta kill somebody every show. <laughs> uh, yeah, then he yeah he does circle it around into oh this is great man. I'll I'll mention one of my favorite scenes which I also think is my for a scene that has a bunch of gorgeous shots I think it's my favorite one is uh, the scene of uh, him auditioning people to replace um, to replace Phoenix where he's sitting in that giant record which is like. A chair that's impossible to get into. It just looks like a giant gold <laughs> gold record. And then it's kind of uh, showing the auditions as like him looking out over the record and people fading in and out of the darkness that surrounds him in this, you know, this like gold prison sphere circle that he's made for himself. Uh, so I think it's, it's beautifully shot and it really works to underline uh, all of the themes of the movie. So much better if they'd just, like, gone to a regular office and just, like, done a montage. I would really like to have seen an outtake of him, like, getting up, crawling across <laughs> the giant record desk, <laughs> hopping down. That, that's where the image kind of breaks down, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Probably had to be lowered in by yeah. <laughs> Peter, did you have any scenes that we haven't called out? Uh, yeah, so we, weirdly enough, so this movie is kind of a part about Phoenix getting buried by men who just want to exert their will on her and have her be this sort of, like, icon for her. Like, a Swan just wants to sideline her, and then when she's, you know, convenient to be brought forward, he's like, you know what, like, I'll go along with this madman's plan and Swan brings her forward, and then he, like, manipulates her into marrying her and sleeping with her. And then also, uh, you know, obviously, uh, it's really unfair what fucking Lester is doing to her as well, where he's like, you're going to be, you're going to sing my music. You have to sing my music. And he's, like, manipulating people so she can, you know, win. That stuff is all is all really interesting because, like, the, us, we didn't talk about Phoenix that much. I love Phoenix's performance where she's like, yeah, motherfuckers, I'll show you, uh, I'll show you what I can do out there. And then comes and sings that, that, like, uh, lovely pop song about, like, her husband that worked, or her lover that works too much. Yeah, that's a really good song. It's a great song. Feels very Karen Carpenter. That's Jessica Harper's real voice. Really? And, yeah. She's got an awesome voice. She's really good in this. Yeah, like you said, Karen Carpenter pop. Yeah, Special (laughs) to Me is the name of that song. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> Karen Carpenter. I I really yeah I'm a big I'm a big fan of um I'm a big fan of that performance in the film. It's nice that um, Leech views her as a damsel in distress that he has to save, and she sort of goes into Swan's arms 
it, it feels like she's saying fuck you to the phantom. Yeah. She, she says that freak that killed me is up on the Yeah, roof. yeah. <laughs> yeah, go get that ass. So. Yeah, she, she does a really good job of yeah. like, oh, no, see, I... I don't care about your bad opera either. <laughs> I just wanted to be a be a star on the stage, which is why I was at the fucking audition in the first place. So I'm glad that you got me on there. But now you're killing people and spying on me while we're having sex. Maybe just let me do what I wanted to do. So I I think I think her story arc and I think the performance is really, really good. Speaking of the sex scene. I love how um, when they're doing that, when uh, Leech is so horrified looking at the girl he loves, although I don't think he knows her last name, <laughs> the girl he loves having sex with uh, Swan. Swan's just lying there. Like, he's not into it at all. He's like a dead fish <laughs> while she's doing all the work until he looks over at a screen and sees that Leech is watching. Yeah. It's not arousing until that point, but e but even like the people that made the movie are like, oh no, he's seeing his loved one ravaged by Swan, and he's just he's just not moving. And then he gets up binoculars and sees that Swan is watching him watch. <laughs> That's when it gets really hot. Uh, well, I mean, Swan, five hundred years old, Viagra didn't come out to the nineties. <laughs> hard to get things going sometimes but then it but then it turned out it was a moment of discovery when it's a super ultra voyeurism self voyeurism that gets him off the very De Palma <laughs> and Hitchcock-y too uh, people watching people and getting off as a result uh this is this is a never-ending infinity sign of that <laughs> yes. it kind of makes sense given He's narcissistic enough to kill himself because, oh, I'll be older than I am and look bad when I'm not 25 or <laughs> however old he is. And, and Adam's talking about the suicide tape. Yeah. <laughs> Just quick shout out. I love that there are, Adam pointed this out, there are printed subtitles on a suicide tape. <laughs> like the bulletin notes, uh, his contract. He went in and edited his contract to... Remind himself, oh yeah, this is my that I watch every that he has to watch every day. Wait, that's what you know, is. he's gonna live a long time. Lang language <laughs> evolves. <laughs> he wants to make sure he can understand it. Uh, quick, quick suggestion for Swan: put that shit in a safe. <laughs> quick suggestion. Yeah, he did, but he left the safe open. Was yeah. the problem? God. Which is as good as not having a safe, my dear. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, this this might just be me. I I think Paul Williams is a is an average looking person, but that wig he's wearing during the suicide tape really gets you going. It is so <laughs> it, it's so creepy. <laughs> it makes him look like I, I I don't know how to explain this. He looks like a a creepy game show host, <laughs> and it's like that's the look he has where he's like, oh no, someday this might be ravaged by. <laughs> <laughs> I I, th I think they were trying to demonstrate his youthfulness, and they <laughs> like did they were trying to demonstrate like at the time this was a young guy who wasn't he wasn't going through like oh here's a wrinkle he was just thinking about, like, the hypothetical way he would look as he got older. And so they did that by putting on, like, the the eight-year-old from Sound of Music wig on his head. 
He he does look appropriate as the devil, though. Oh, for sure. He's sort of like waxy idol. Like, he doesn't look like a person that's been allowed to be alive. <laughs> that's also Peter's commentary on Paul Williams. <laughs> we kind of... Uh, Did you just insult Paul Williams? I love Paul Williams. Take it back. <laughs> um, okay. Well, you don't love him enough. Oh, oh my God! Is the twist in this podcast that I'm the Dustin? <laughs> dun dun dun! You're gonna have to sign this contract in blood, Aaron, to not be the Dustin anymore. No, uh, no reason to read this. Uh, I'm signing it in blood. <laughs> I always sign my contracts in blood, uh, and it's just because I uh, uh, hemophiliac. <laughs> and you always forget pens. Yeah, I always accidentally stab myself. Use a pen, sideshow Bob. <laughs> We touched on it a little bit, but one other scene I really enjoyed was the uh, long take with the bomb in the trunk of the car and also the way the band continues to play during it. I'm kind of a sucker for those shots, and I enjoyed that one ton for the way they kind of, well, we already knew, but how much they use kind of drugs and uh, kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Abuse, I guess? Yeah. Mm -hmm. To control both. Uh, the women and the male talent as well to do what they want in the music industry, and especially in uh, Swan's business. Yeah, it's it's a great homage to Touch of Evil, like that that it's a long take with a bomb in a trunk and the split screen too. Yeah, he's really showing off. Yeah, I mean they are technical marvels because like, long shots are tough, and to have to do it from two different angles where you can't hide stuff is adds to the difficulty. <laughs> Um, all right, well, we can get into some final thoughts. I mean, I, I know we've talked about it a lot. Um, Peter, as the uh, former virgin in relation specifically to this movie, why don't you gush Thank about you for it for a little Yeah, <laughs> and other things. Uh, why don't you gush about it for a while? We can build off of your thoughts. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, really glad that we pushed for this. Aaron, was this your push to, to get this on the show? This This was kind of my big, like oh, you haven't seen this, we need to do this. Yeah, if we had, like, this and Tokyo Tribe and a handful of other, like, really audacious musicals in the in the, the running this month, I think that uh, this, this month would have been, uh, I think, a little bit more successful during my conversion uh, therapy, or I guess my immersion therapy to uh, musicals. Uh, but this one was so powerful that I think it's, it's kind of changed the way that I look at musicals. And now I just, I don't hate them. I just hold them to a very high standard. The, it showed me kind of what can be done with the format and that it showed me something very interesting is that, that like broadness, uh, that often, you know, can for musicals be really a big turnoff for me can be a really empowering thing. Like I felt in, like when I was on a drug for this movie, it's got this live wire energy that I just couldn't get enough of. And, and kind of what Adam said, uh, when it was over, I was like, I was kind of hungry for more and I kind of wish this movie did well. So like De Palma could do more things in this style because De Palma was a dude who like you know he roams from project to project but sometimes he, st- he if he finds something he really likes and people tell him to keep working on it he he, he sticks with it like The Fury is is not a great movie but in a sense it's a continuation of Carrie and blah 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 we could have gotten more movies like this and it, it's the perfect kind of movie like this because it's like 90 minutes like cocaine it leaves your system quickly 
when it was over, I was still hungry for more. I wasn't like exhausted by the concept of the movie, which is, uh, I guess, the, the the perfect cult movie and the perfect sort of movie that we wanted to cover on the show. And I'm super glad that we did it. And it makes me want to definitely do Musical May next year. And now we can only ruin it with next week's Xanadu. I know. I know. <laughs> like that's the- Xanadu ruins everything. Uh, yeah, my, uh, you know what, Peter summed it up really well, that this, this really was, um, blew me away first time I saw it, which was only a couple years ago, and I've returned to it a few times, I pushed for it hard on this podcast, I feel like if you're not a musical person, the songs are so non-musically that they do fit really well into that 70s piano rock, uh, you could hear these on the radio and have no idea that they are associated with kind of trying to be that showy, type music i think you for the most part you don't make those mistakes with other rock operas that they sound very much like they're part of a show and these are just some really really good songs yeah i don't i don't know what else to say about it besides it's it's really good i think i if the blowout didn't exist i may call it de palma's best movie but it's definitely up there I'd put it at i'd still oh i guess if we're ranking those i should i would still put it probably at two or three but um I, I, like, love the first two quite a bit, so that's still high praise. I, I just don't believe in ranking things. Uh, Adam, Adam, rank De Palma movies, every last one. Adam, who do you write for again? <laughs> My final thoughts are something this movie accomplished is it kind of made me interested in the music industry, which is something I wouldn't naturally be looking at. I learned that uh, kind of the motivation for De Palma making this was that he had heard some Beatles music turned into kind of elevator music, and he was kind of exploring the idea of how somebody's art gets turned into kind of commercial kitsch. The way this movie kind of really, I mean, it's done at a parody level, of course, but the way it kind of savages the music industry for having uh, producers like Spectre, who take away music from creators' rights, try to manipulate and control what they do, encourages, pushes them to unhealthy behaviors. And that was something that I found really interesting. And as I said, though, that's a topic that I wouldn't naturally look into. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Uh, well, I'll counterbalance <laughs> the interesting point by saying... I don't. Th- I actually don't think that I, this comes across to me like sober people trying to make what they think people who are on drugs would make, because I, I don't. I don't get the impression that it's out of control drugginess because so much of it is so disciplined. Like there's so many difficult, technically uh, complex shots in it that feels to me like very sober-headed discipline at work. Uh, I will say, I will say, uh, Dustin, uh, that sometimes people that do drugs do things uh, remarkably well, but with a madman's devotion. And I think that's where it, it doesn't have like uh, it doesn't have necessarily cocaine logic in every scene, but like the sort of like leaning into the broadness. That's where I, I, I said that the druggy, the druggy reference, like this sort of high manic energy. Even if it's high performing, it's insane, and it doesn't quite care about logic. Okay, I, I, I did say earlier that the fr- editing was kind of frenetic, but that felt more like De Palma was just anxious to get through the setup into um, the Phantom of the Paradise, which, which is something that which is something that drug addicts do, or people that are just you know experimenting with us, uh, you know uppers. They'll sometimes be like, 
rush through like the grounding for a really insane rant. They'll be like, well, yeah, but you guys know, like, when those planes in the sky, like, they, like, leave the trails behind anyways. So, like, chemtrails were designed by the government shortly after JFK's term because, like, <laughs> that's that's also something tr- uh, people on drugs do is, like, they rush through the rational stuff so that they can get to the craziness. I think, uh, I think we could, we can at the very least, whether the movie reflects it and the debate about whether De Palma was on cocaine while making it, because he was. <laughs> oh. <laughs> for, for most of these movies oh, he- in this decade and the next, he was. <laughs> anyway, um, big props to Paul Williams. I think he makes this movie as much as De Palma did because it, re- he really is the soul of it. He's the character I feel is the most compelling. And also, he wrote the music for it and he sings uh, some of the score for it. So it almost feels like the movie is sympathizing with him because he's. It, he's more woven into the texture of it. Yeah, he. it was kind of crazy to me that Paul Williams didn't have a bigger hand in actually writing the the script itself, because it feels like a full-on collaboration between the two. And I guess it is in a lot of ways, but uh, yeah, he is just... he's And he bulked up his... Yeah, he's, he's instrumental in the success of this movie. What do you guys got to promote? <laughs> Unfortunately, the thing we have to promote isn't out yet. But it's going to be a exciting new podcast since we got laid off from the other one that we worked on. Only to be called The Names Have Been Changed. It's a movie about a cult consultant who gets taken who gets brought in on sort of other occult activities <laughs> to sort of correct things and gets his and gets himself sort of mired ever, ever deeper into multiple conflicting cults activities. That sounds really awesome. I'd yeah. love to see that. Thank you. So it's a it's a podcast it's, though, right? You can't see it. It's a well. It's a podcast that's like it, taking the form of a movie. You're also supposed to you're supposed to call these an yeah you're supposed to call these an audio drama. Okay. And it's and it's long enough that we're writing a tie-in book. Oh, nice. For people who want to get for people who want to get to the ending faster than we release the episodes. That's awesome. And, and there's and there's going to be enough episodes that it should be about eight or nine episodes long uh, it's going to be a long enough story there should be like eight or nine episodes that's an amazing thing to do in 2017 i think yeah uh just a small spoiler i think i'd say we're going more for breaking bad mm. in that there's it, we've got this sort of anti-hero protagonist who's constantly screwing over particular people over and over again and kind of getting out of it by sinking ever deeper into the buyers of it amoral behavior uh anyway so yeah so thank you guys so much uh for for coming on this as always uh open invitation anytime you guys want to come back just let us know uh maybe you can get to that five timers club peter we're rounding out your month of hell that has become the month of heaven why don't you remind everyone once again what's what's ending this bad boy we are doing a xanadu with brandon leday Thank you for not making us do Xanadu. <laughs> I, I was very happy. <laughs> this one. So Brandon Lede is uh, is uh, the host of the Swamp Flicks podcast. You should check that out. And he also writes uh, for his website, Swamp Flicks. And he's a very fun and very smart uh, film critic. Uh, and he's just like a really sweet, nice dude. And he's been really supportive of the show. And uh, yeah, we're excited to have him on. Again, yeah, he was on our Fly episode. Yep, yep. 
So we'll, we'll, I'll quickly go through next month. I'm not going to talk about guests or order because we haven't booked it in. But uh, so the first week in June, we're taking off. Um, I'm going to be in Mexico. And uh, this has already been kind of a crazy month for traveling for me. So we're not going to record an episode uh, then. Uh, and then we're going to – so we're going to make up for that by doing six movies in two weeks. We're doing Cinematic Twins Month. Uh, we do have some guests we're working on and and uh, organizing the order. But the, the pairs are going to be uh, Leviathan and Deep Star Six, Rookie of the Year and Little Big League, and Mission to Mars and Red Planet. So we're very excited to do that. And, uh, yeah, that's all I got. Uh, I think at some point in the future, I'll have something to promote, but right now it's uh, still in first draft, so uh, I don't really need to mention that. But the big thing that we need to talk about is that our first uh, listener-determined uh, month is coming up very soon. July? We're going- yes, July. And so we're going to have to get those votes in. We're gonna. I think we're going to end up leaving the poll open for about three weeks. We're going to have to leave the poll open for about three weeks, uh, maybe two. We'll have to d- decide. And the poll will determine uh, one of four fe- themes for the month. And we will have options already selected for those themes. And we will, uh, I think, either next week or the week after, we'll, uh, we'll have the, the uh, poll ready to go. So keep following us on Facebook to uh, be the first to vote in that. And uh, yeah, very exciting. And I think we're actually going to – so I think we're actually going to offer a prize to a random voter on that one. Um, I haven't determined what it is yet, but uh, I have a few ideas. It will be something – this will shock you guys – movie related um, (laughs) that we will will randomly pick a name out for someone that votes. So It will be a kiss from a horse. It it may be a DVD of bonus features from Phantom of the Paradise. (laughs) (laughs) We can definitely – the prize – you get to know Aaron's address. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can offer that up. I saw up. a double teaming once. How dare you? Let's end hey, this. <laughs> for the, you don't get to out-awkward us out of this fucking thing. <laughs> How dare you? Good night, good not, sir. Well, I can, I can explain. I was not myself last night. In the morning light, no apologies or flowers. Like a child who was only poor, reaching out for more, I could hear the hunger growing. And as I lost control, I swore I'd sell my soul for one love who would stand by me. Give me back the gift of laughter, yeah. One love who would stand by me. And after making love, we dream a bit of style. Hey folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. If you want to get in touch with us, please reach out to us at either our website, wltwpodcast.com, or our Facebook group, facebook.com backslash we love to watch and uh yeah reach out to us give us some feedback give us some support uh, suggest movies for the show all that we are also available on soundcloud tune in stitcher and itunes thanks for listening